hearing in Scotland for uh, counting the COVID years, and uh, I broke my foot several times so I couldn't go for a couple of years. Uh, counting all that time of doing Zoom and taping messages during the COVID years. I've been ministering in Scotland for 23 years. And so it is, uh, it is very much like home to me. And uh, I was very privileged in this trip to spend the majority of time of ministering with pastors that I had helped train in their training times and then in their probation times and now in as pastors of churches. And uh, that was very exciting. I tried to keep my schedule down just because you get older. Uh, you do, I don't, but you, uh, you get older and there's a, <laughs> you have to have a little more time to recover. However, once it got out that I was there because of the 23 years of relationship, I, I was ministering so much. And uh, I, I just thank God for it. He strengthens us and allows us to do amazing things. And, and not next weekend, but the weekend after that, we'll have, uh, I'll be bringing a, a pastor from Scotland who I've known for 25 years. He is not Scottish. He's been there 17 years. He's from Australia. And so you won't get to hear the wonders of a Scottish accent. But if he starts to tell you jokes, don't laugh. It's kind of like, don't feed the bears. You know, you just <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> He's a very, very good friend, and he is a, a great ministry. So uh, the reason he, he's coming down here is because he wants to come to church. He wants to see the church that I've been talking about in Scotland and uh, what God is doing here in the midst and, and uh, with all of you. So... Uh, that was really a great thing to, to go and to talk about. Uh, I always talk about the churches that I've started and pastored, but in coming into this church, uh, to be able to talk about you and, and the wonders that God is, is performing in our midst. Hallelujah. That's great. I was in one church, and I have to tell you this, and I'll try to make it fast, but he's actually from Glasgow, which makes him a Glaswegian, who, but he lives in Aberdeen, and he lives in one of the poorer sections and pastors in the poorer sections, and they have a very what's called a very broad accent. So if you've ever been to Glasgow and listened to a Glaswegian preach the first time, I got maybe 10% of what they said. Yeah, okay, the, the accent's very strong. So I ministered in his church on Saturday morning to leaders and then two services on Sunday, and then he drives me back down to Sterling where I was staying. So I have about two, two and a half hours with him. And that's a time where we talk about the church and talk about leaders because they bring me in to speak prophetically to the church and to give direction. So I don't get to talk to the pastor or any of the leaders that whole time till after the services are over so that there is no compromise with the word of God. And if I speak prophetically, it's because God's shown me, not because I've read people or because they have said something to me. And so uh, it, it's wonderful and lonely all at the same time. And so you, you know, you, I don't even, we don't even bother spending a lot of time together before then because we have nothing to talk about, you know. You can only talk about sports, the weather, and U.S. politics so, so many times. So... I did this, the ministry, and then he, he takes me on Monday back down to Sterling, and then I get a call from him on Wednesday. And he says, Ray, oh, Ray, 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 
I had to call you. I did. I had to call you. I said, well, Barry, what's happened? He said, Ray, I'm different. He says, I had to call you. I'm different. I am. I'm different. And he said, I met with our leaders, and we talked about what you brought to the church. And we're all, we're all excited. We're, we're changed. We're different. And he said, in the prayer meeting on Monday night, he said, it's packed out. They're all, they're all buzzed. And he said, Tuesday morning, where the mothers bring their babies for fellowship, their, their bairns, for fellowship. He said, it was packed out. They're different. He said, then on our life groups, they're all abuzz. They're packed out. God's moving again in our midst. So, so thank you for your prayers. I greatly appreciate it. I count on it. Paul talked about the supply of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the saints. And uh, I, I count on those things. And so the fruit that, that was born in this trip, you bear with me that fruit. So may God abundantly prosper us all from that. Amen? I want to talk to you today about the Church of Jesus Christ. And I am going to try to stay very focused, uh, but, and, and uh, Alyssa, I'm going to try not to tell stories, <laughs> but I want to talk to you first about a prophetic picture of the church so that we can see what God prophesied about the church. Then we want to look in the New Testament and see the fulfillment of those prophetic words about the church. And then I am going to, and I've, I've thought about this for quite a while, I'm going to talk about discipleship and leadership, and then I want to talk finally about vision and the function of all these things. It's never enough to just see truth. It is necessary. It is good. But what we really believe is measured by how we live whether we can take that truth. And because I've moved in the prophetic for many, many years, all over the world, I know this about the prophetic, that people love to get the revelation of what God wants them to do, who they can be, and all those things. But there is a big distinction between what God says and what people embrace and give themselves to and walk out. And so we want to be a people that don't just hear, we want to be a people that do. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 2. Now, used to be in churches, you'd hear all these rustling of, of, of pages. Now I hear this. It's okay, I forgive you. Have you noticed in churches that different churches have monikers they have certain sayings that we all pick up and and you know I was listening and I have listened for weeks and I I, I love Angela she goes yeah yeah and then you hear Chris and he says come on then you hear Brett and he says so good so good <laughs> yeah. So I'm coming up with one. It's going to be a good one. I just want you to know. 
<laughs> All right, let's read beginning with verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. We love it when it says latter days. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I love these pictures and uh, I, I am for a moment going to unpack some of the concepts here. Uh, I love these pictures in the Bible, and, and what I really want is for us to see what God is saying. Not just hear it, but really see it. Let the Holy Spirit get it in your spirit. And so that it is a, a default in your understanding about the church. You see, all of us have come from different backgrounds. And we all have to own up to the fact that we have different models that either we have learned or have been put in us. But if you're here today, you're saying basically those models didn't really work. And it is crazy that we then, when we go to do something in God, we go back to those models. Because God is trying to produce something here that is according to the word of God. I'm going to say a, a couple of shocking things, and so you just have to forgive me. I, I don't really care that much for youth groups or college and career groups. I was a college and career pastor in 1974 at a church in Los Angeles. And uh, I was always trying to bring them into a place of discipleship, place of relationship with the Lord. They wanted to go to the beach and have barbecues because they were looking for husbands and wives. In fact, the first church I pastored was primarily young guys, and when some young Christian girls would come in, when they'd walk across the room, all the guys would go, is that the one for me, Lord? Is that the one for me, Lord? So I get it. I understand that. But it is not trying to find somebody that you think is really hot or that you get along with that's not the criteria for finding a husband and wife. The criteria is finding someone who loves Jesus more than you and will walk with you. Because at the end of the day, what you, what you get is what you get. Hello? So we have to start saying, oh, God. And so I'm trying to help these, these young people. And I mean, I'm, in, in 1974, I'm 24, so, you know, ancient of rays at that time. Uh, I'm trying to bring them to a place of discipleship. Man, we're butting heads and butting heads and butting heads. And so they, they came to me and they said, we want barbecues, we want activities, we want to do this. And I said, listen. And I, you know, I gave them my spiritual spiel. And they said, yeah, but we want this. I said, okay, I'll make a deal with you. 
You spend an hour with me right now and pray that on Sunday, that if God wants you to have that, that the services would just be average services. But if God wants to take your life and do something with it, then we'll have an extraordinary service. So they said, okay, we got him here. So we prayed. Sunday morning was a good service, nothing special. They're giving me the... <laughs> Sunday night, we had a guest speaker. But the pastor didn't really pay much attention to him, and, and the pastor preached 30 minutes and then turned it over to him for 15 minutes. Since 1974, the man's name was Lauren Cunningham. He was the founder of YWAM. Well, YWAM was in its infancy then. I mean, he's trying to sell it to the churches. So Lauren stands up, and in 15 minutes, my mouth is on the floor because the power of God is flowing through this guy. And for some strange reason, that Sunday night, the church, which seats about 900 to 1,000, was packed with college age and career people. So at the end of 15 minutes, he gives an altar call. The entire front was filled. They had to line the walls of the church because God, through him, put a call out for discipleship and for service and, and touched something in their hearts that said, I am the Lord and I have a purpose for you. And it was absolutely glorious. So I'm fine with youth groups and, and college age groups doing activities, but not as the primary goal of why you gather together. You, you can do amazing things in God at, at your ages. And, and you need to focus on the Lord and, and become a disciple and follow him. Okay, in this passage in Isaiah, he says in the latter days. Now, for us being the church, we're always talking about the latter days. And, and for me, I would have to say that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is what Joel prophesied about, that in the last days, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And that was the beginning, really, of the last days. Now, I've been saved for 53 years, and so I have been waiting for Jesus to come for 53 years. And after about the fifth year, I realized that possibly my theology needed an adjustment because he had not come immediately. But I'll tell you, when there is a move of the Spirit of God, there is a sense of the closeness of his presence and the closeness of his coming and of his kingdom. We just have to make sure that we balance that with a heart that says, come Lord Jesus and put the plow in my hand and let me work to build the kingdom of God. Let's do both of those things. So the latter days, I'll, I will build the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the top of the mountains and, and shall be exalted above the hills or smaller mountains. And all nations are going to flow to it. Well, what mountains are we talking about? This is a spiritual prophecy. What mountains are we talking about? Well, I would have to tell you that I think it has to do with the mountains that are related to covenants. There was an everlasting covenant that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made before creation about creation and about redemption. Christ is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And when he made the world, there was this Edenic covenant. 
And most rabbis at the time of Jesus believed that the Garden of Eden was not in a valley, but was actually a mountain, an Inselberg, a single mountain. And that the river of God flowed down from that mountain and split into the four rivers that went to water the earth. And so we would have to say in this first covenant, we see this mountain. Well, a mountain always speaks to us in the word of where God comes and meets. It speaks to us of his presence. It speaks to us of, of, of relationship and fellowship and the word of the Lord going forth. Then after man fell, we have the Adamic covenant. And we have this coming to the garden, coming to, to try to offer. Cain and Abel, it appears, brought their offering to the edge of the garden. Then you have the Noahic covenant. And, and when Noah comes out uh, of the ark, he's on Mount Ararat. Okay, then we have the Abrahamic, and, and Abraham, it appears, takes Isaac to offer him on Mount Moriah. And then we have the Mosaic covenant, and they go to Mount Sinai. Then we have the Davidic covenant, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant back and establishes Mount Zion. Wonderful. Zion becomes not only the, the place of David's tabernacle, but it becomes known as also the temple. And then it, 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 it's extended to speak of Jerusalem itself. But when we come to the church, and we'll look at this in a moment, we're going to find another mountain. We'll find it in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll find it in Revelation chapter 21. And when we come together, there is a need for us in our worship, as we did today, to ascend into his presence. That he comes and descends and meets with us, and that's where he speaks to us. It is a glorious picture. Even the Temple of Solomon had so many steps they had to ascend. The Psalms have the Psalms of Ascent as the, as the pilgrims are coming back to Jerusalem for the feasts of the Lord. It's a concept that when we come to church, we're coming to go up into the presence of the Lord. But I want you to look at something in this passage. It says it's going to be established in the top of the mountains and the nations shall flow to it. And the idea of flow there really is not primarily the idea of streaming, but of radiance and light. And what he's giving us is a picture of the house of God established in the top of the mountains that has this incredible glory and light and brightness and radiance, and the nations are flowing uphill. They're going to the mountain. Now, we have a dual picture then of the church. We can look in the book of Revelation or the prophet Ezekiel and we can see that the river of God flows out from the throne of God. If I were to say what the ministry of the church is, it flows out. It flows out. But there's a necessity for us to flow up and to see and behold and experience the light and the brightness of God. I have to tell you, when I was preparing this message and going back over it on Saturday, I got lost. I got lost in the spirit. All of a sudden, I'm just lost. And, I went, I, and, I, and when it, I came out of it, I went, where was I? <laughs> where was I? 
And it had happened an hour earlier in my private worship time. I was worshiping and all of a sudden I'm just lost in the presence of God. And I stop and I go, wow, where was I? And the reality is when we come into the presence of God like we did today, we can go higher, church. We can go higher. We have to learn how to go higher, but we can go higher. We can see more of the mountain. We can see more of his presence. We can hear more of his voice. Okay. All the nations shall flow to it, verse 3, and multitudes, many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, because he will teach us of his ways. Isn't that the church? I appreciated the exhortation this morning about we're coming unto Jesus. It's, it's hearing him, relating to him. He teaches us of his ways, and we walk in his paths. It doesn't take away from leadership. It doesn't take away from any ministry. It just means that all the ministries are trying to bring us into a place of fellowship with God and the Father and with our Lord Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit. He's doing something in our midst. And that fellowship and that relationship and that teaching of his ways and knowing him should take us in, in, in our lives that we can go anywhere in the world and walk with Jesus. It's not enough to learn doctrine of churches, but we must learn the doctrine of God. And as we learn the doctrine of God, it changes us and we can go anywhere and be successful and victorious. All right. Now, multitudes, come and let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths. For out of Zion, and let's, let's kind of keep that strict now, just as the dwelling where God dwelt, and there was this openness for people to come before his presence. Out of that shall go the commandments of God. You see, the church is an incredibly important tool in the hands of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And out of the church and out of this place of worship, there should come a greater knowledge of the word of God and the commandments of God. You see, the greater the liberty... The greater the freedom, the greater the requirement for accountability, order, and government. Because in the world today, we have, whenever there's a move of the Spirit, there is all kinds of teaching and all kinds of things that take place that are not centered in the Word of God. And we have to become people who then are disciplined or disciples so that we stay in a place of safety. I came out of the Jesus movement and thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to the Lord and thousands upon thousands were lost because we didn't have churches, we didn't have government, we didn't have discipleship, we didn't have anybody to care for us and to watch over us and to chase us down when we were running away. We didn't have that. And I want to tell you, there is a freshness of the Spirit of God that's moving again. 
And this week I had a dream, and in this dream, uh, I won't tell you all this stuff, but the important thing is that in this dream, there was a, a young woman, and I, and I saw her, and I heard the Lord say, this generation is a very special generation. And, I, and, I, and in the Lord, I just felt my hand go on her face, and I realized that this generation is a unique generation. And then as I took my hand back, the, the vision changed or the dream changed into a young man. I put my hand on his face and I went, yeah, this is a unique generation. And we're in a place where we have to recognize it, pray for it, focus on it, release it. And when I first tripped to Scotland, I, uh, I stayed with a couple in Aberdeen. And they had three children, all serving the Lord. And what was amazing about that, and in fact, I went up to Thurzo, the top of Scotland, to do a youth conference. And what was amazing to me through this whole thing was these young people were on fire for the Lord. I looked at it and went, this is like the Jesus movement and the charismatic movement put together. They were leading people to Christ. They were praying for them. They were water baptizing them. They were laying hands on them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were teaching them. And then I came back six months later and most of those people had fallen away. And I said, what happened? And they, you know, they tried to explain it to me. So I said, would you please gather 50 of those same people? And let me talk with them. And so I asked them what had happened. And they said, our we get sick at our stomachs when we have to think about on Saturday night going to church. I said, why? Why? They said, because the church has told us we couldn't do what we were doing. That we didn't have the authority to preach, to lay hands on them, to water baptism, baptize them, to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. We didn't have the authority or the right to do that. And these kids were devastated. So we put together a, a youth conference. I came back six months later, and it, it was an amazing thing. All the worship uh, teams from all the different churches, primarily in the Highlands, all came together. And they, we, before the service started, oh, man, they are loving on each other, so happy to see each other playing music. They even let the old guy get up and play with them. And then when the service started, dead. Dead. They wouldn't sing. Their spirit, their countenance fell. And so I threw my wonderful messages away, and I just preached from the heart to try to bring them back to the Lord. Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then on Sunday night we had a breakthrough. And they came, they came back to the Lord. And, and many of them now are on the mission field. Many of them are serving the Lord in their churches because God came and brought them back. Listen, we cannot allow the church of Jesus Christ or the so-called church of Jesus Christ steal the harvest. That means we must be those that go out and harvest and bring the people in. Now, doing good. Let's just leave verse 4 alone and get to verse 5. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. 
The burden of the, of the prophet Isaiah is to speak to the nation of Israel, number one, and, and cause them to have a new revelation of what God's going to do with them. That no longer are they going to be centered on themselves as a nation, but when the Messiah comes, they're going to be centered on bringing in all the nations of the earth to a place of worship. And so one of the reasons that the Jews had such a hard time with Jesus coming is that he was not trying to establish the kingdom as they perceived it. But as he was birthing it. You see, he was crucified as king of the Jews. Said so three times out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Jesus, king of the Jews. Said it in three languages on his cross. But when he was resurrected, he was the king of kings and lord of lords. And called to every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the mission of Israel and the mission of the church is to gather in and to bring so they can flow up into the presence of the Lord. Okay, go with me, and we'll try to do this quickly, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. And I'm just going to read this, but I want you to see this prophetic picture of the church fulfilled. So it says, come and let us go in Isaiah, and we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, and it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. The law shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem. You have come to these places. You have come to an innumerable company of angels, to the joyous celebrative assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than the sprinkling of able and forward. Now what I want you to see in this is that we have come. We are not waiting to go into the presence of the Lord. We are not waiting for the king to rule. We, and, and when we, I, I, I won't take us there because I have to get to these other parts of this message. But in Revelation, the angel who had the, the seventh angel who had the last plagues came and talked to John and said, come up with me to the mountain. And I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he shows them the new Jerusalem. And he uses a present active participle and says, which the city of God is descending. Not will descend, not a future event, but is descending. And what we have to see consistently in the word of God is that God is always trying to build his house, his city, that he might dwell in the midst of the church that he might be glorified in the midst of the church and that everyone can see this glory because it talks about the light. And to your, to your prophetic exhortation to us today, it talks about the gemstones, uh, that, that the light is shown through in the city of Jerusalem. Now, what I want you to understand in that is in Isaiah it said, come and let us go. In Hebrews it says, we have come. And in Hebrews, I mean in Revelation, he gives us a, a new picture and says the church is the city of God. The city of God is the wife of the lamb, is the bride of the lamb. You see, we're always looking for special companies, special groupings. We are the elite. <laughs> 
We are the special grouping. All of us. Come on. Okay, go with me to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll do this one fast too. Now, how do we get all of this down to where we live? Am I talking to the right people this morning? Just want to make sure. The Great Commission commissions these apostles, and they go, where do they go? They go away into Galilee to what? The mountain, oh, which Jesus appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, even though some doubted. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It didn't say go, therefore, and make believers. It said make disciples disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, not suggested to you, but commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Now, this is a, a, you know, this is a foundational concept for us. Christianity is about learning to follow Jesus and following his commandments and walking in the Spirit, and walking with one another. There are no options to this. We don't get to be little people off to the right and to the left. People say to me all the time, well, I got hurt in the church. And as a leader, I can say, well, I got hurt in the church. I just want you to know if you're going to be in the church, you're going to get hurt. If you're going to be around people, sometimes you look in the mirror and you feel hurt. <laughs> so there's no escaping this. But isn't that the commandments that we learn to forgive one another? In fact, Jesus gets real stiff on this forgiveness thing. He says, if you don't forgive one another, then my father's not going to forgive you. You yeah, What? God would never hang anything over my head because he loves me. I'm special. Come on, folks. God has requirements. He made God his love, but the other biblical definition is God is holy. Come on. God is light. He exposes. He's a consuming fire. Well, well, we don't really know what that means, so we won't even bother with it. But... He is a concern. All these things, this is who God is in our relationship with him. And we have to learn to walk with him as he is, know him as he is. Not according to the model or the latest book or the latest YouTube or the latest podcast or the latest conference. In the churches that I pastored, I had numbers of goals. My, one of my big goals was to provide a place, an atmosphere, where people could come and worship the Lord, and the worship would be so great they would always be satiated in the presence of the Lord, that they wouldn't feel the need to run off to other places to find that worship. And one of my goals was to always to train teachers and prophets and different people so that they could minister at a level where people wouldn't feel like they have to grab every book, go to every conference. And sometimes, for the sake of fellowship, we would go to some of these church conferences, and they would come back and they would say, 
we, we already do all those things. And I went, yeah. You see, if you're going to have a house where the glory of God comes, then let the glory of God come. Okay, but it's going to require that you and I start to follow the faith of those who God has put in front of us. We can say it's just about Jesus, but it's just about Jesus through the vessels that he's placed in our midst. 1 John chapter 1. John says, I've told you all these things that you can have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So there is a people who have matured and gone before you and know how to walk. And God says, come and follow their faith. Walk after them. Look at them. Learn from them. And then become a teacher yourself and disciple people yourself. Okay. We have to address some issues of how the church functions. We really do. One of the things I really love about the church is the, the freedom and the prophetic and the, the different things. And I enjoy, for the most part, the things that are, sh that are shared. But even in the prophetic... If we, if we stop, I, I personally operate from there are three levels. There's the spirit of prophecy in which anybody can prophesy. Then there's the gift of prophecy, which is a grace that God gives to that person, and it, it more regularly operates. And then there is the mantle of the prophet. And those things are in the church, and we can appreciate all of them and be blessed by all of those different levels. But you know when Paul talks about the prophetic in 1 Corinthians 14, he says like two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Whether it was God or not. Because we can say things out of our human spirit, our human experience. It's not prophecy. We can even be inspired by demonic forces out of doctrines of devils and speak things that are of demonic. I have a, 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 I just ran across it in my files. I have a three-page prophecy that a woman mailed to a woman that eventually came to our church, she and her family. And I've, I, I have read a lot of prophecies, but I've never read anything like this. And the woman that received it was so devastated. I mean, it took a very long time to get those words out of her spirit. And I sent it off to the dean of Portland Bible College, who's a friend of mine. I said, here, teach this so that they know what not to do. The reality is prophecy is no game. It is nothing to play with. The words that we speak can bind us, even though we know it can't be true. Inside we go, well, what if I'm wrong? So we have to, as a people, start to be very accountable in this. That's, that's not a lot to ask. Let's be accountable. You, you don't want to hurt anybody, do you? We want to edify. We want to build up. We want to bless. We want to, you know, comfort. We want to do all of these things. That means we have to somehow submit ourselves. Now, in Acts chapter 20, Paul 
is on his way to Jerusalem. And he decides not to stop at Ephesus, but he calls the elders from Ephesus to Miletus. And he's telling them that they're never going to see him again. And I won't take the time to go through, although I encourage you from verse 17 forward to read his testimony about his ministry and his life. That he served the Lord with humility and with tears and, and how he kept back nothing helpful. But he taught these people house to house, taught them publicly. He taught them all the things. He told them what the Spirit of the Lord was saying about tribulation and, uh, and what he had received from the Lord. And then in verse 28, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves, speaking to the elders, presbyters, and it's the word not so much for age, although it can be applied to age. It is really the, the worth, to your point, and value of who they are to the church. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, those that protect, those that watch, those that care, to shepherd. We, we all know what shepherds do. They care for the flock. They feed the flock. They water the flock. They pick the ticks off the flock. They make sure that, that if they run off, they go and gather them and bring them back. This is Paul's definition of leadership. He's made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased in his own blood. And then he talks about, he knows that when he leaves, there are going to be people, you know, putting themselves forward and trying to draw people away. And so he warns them and tells them this is how they have to function. Now, the idea of an overseer is an episcopos. You're a bishop. No hats required. You're a shepherd. It comes from the word, the root word is poeme, to feed. My understanding of the church and how it functions is this. That you have, according to the, the, the churches in the book of Revelation, you have the angelos of the church. Not an angel, not a spirit, but a messenger. He's the primary voice to the church. Not exclusive, but the primary voice. The primary. He's the chief shepherd to that flock. And then the elders come, and they also are shepherds. And they also oversee, and they also care. And each elder is in submission to that pastor. And then if there is a need, that group of elders can exert authority over the pastor. But they work together as a plurality of eldership. They work together as a chief shepherd and shepherds. Now you're growing to the size, we are growing, sorry, we, we are growing, I'm so used to preaching to churches I don't attend every week. We are going to decide where we have to have men and women who are doing pastoral work and caring for the flock. Otherwise, God stops the growth. I don't want God to stop the growth. I want to see you grow. Now, I've trained a lot of ministers I've, I've taught in Bible colleges, I've taught in churches and all different kinds of cultures and worked with leaders. And these are things that I, I would say have to be there. 
whether you're an elder, whether you're a prophet, whether you're a teacher, whatever you are, you have to know the word of God. Not sort of know it. You have to know it. Because all prophecy has to come within the confines of that word. It says, and many of you will tell me, well, it just says elders have to be apt to teach. Go back and look at what apt means. It means skillful. Yikes. See, I've, I've taught systematic theology, and I've taught biblical theology, and I've combined them, and I have systematic Bible, biblical theology. Anyway, I teach it, and I've taught it in such so many times that I, that I, I mean, I absolutely love it. And I've had people literally go out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not because I was experiencing that ministry. I was just teaching. But the revelation that started coming to them. And so I've gone back to the churches and I've said, what was the most impacting thing that I taught you, speaking to leaders? And the first thing always is systematic theology. Because it made us think about God. Made us understand God. And I want to say to you as a church that we have to make an adjustment. I don't know how your structure really works, but I know how the biblical structure works. And I would say to the elders, you have to come to a new place of submission to the pastor and to his leadership. And I say to the pastor, you have to provide a new level of leadership for the elders. And we have to make some decisions here about training and discipleship. And moving forward from this spot so that we don't lose the harvest. It's all right to be running trying to catch up with Jesus. I find that's been the, the testimony of my life. And it's all right, but we have to come to a place where we say, what I have known and learned from places that I will not go and fellowship and adhere to their doctrine, I have to let go of and now teach me what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. So I've got just a few minutes, and 